today we start into a, a new sermon series that'll carry us through the month of March, and um, my heart is just so full. Uh, Pastor Raphael and, and I are going to be sharing and preaching through this month as we uh, look at a focus that I believe God is going to challenge us in and really break up some of our um, preset ways of thinking and maybe some of the ways that we just sort of observe and understand our situation, our circumstance, even understand the world. You know, when we um, come to the, the focus for this month, um, we've entitled the message series, um, God is Love. God is Love. So simple, right? Okay, got it. Good. Close your Bibles. <laughs> you guys have a great day. It's such a simple phrase, God is Love, but what we're going to look at over the coming weeks is just the depth of what that means to know a God who is love. Um, Love, yes, love is a four-letter word. And love, in a lot of ways, um, becomes a word that we hear so often that it kind of just, it sort of washes over us. It's become part of our cultural context. Um, Even the the Christian understanding of love and and this derived from um, God as being love has been so enculturated that it just, it's kind of, been dumbed down and lost a lot of its power. You know, last month was Valentine's Day, right? Hope you had an awesome Valentine's Day, that wonderful Hallmark holiday that culture has captured and moved away from its origins to being another consumer holiday to get stressed out about. But as I was um, preparing for the sermon today, uh, over a period of a few days, I kept capturing the phrases and thoughts that were in my mind of um, that phrase love, like where it gets used. And so, um, I made a list, so stick with me for a moment because it's going to be fun. And as I say these, you're going to know, some of them you'll be like, oh yeah, I know exactly, but you ready? So this is where love gets used, that that word, that simple word love, how it gets used in so many different ways in our culture. So here we go. Puppy love, a love story, the Beatles, all you need is love, love will find a way, love at first sight, love wins, a love story, eat, pray, love, make love, not war. This is a love song, amor, agape love, like from the Greek, hesed love, that's the Old Testament Hebrew love, all's fair in love and war, yeah, the TV show, love it or list it, right, the love of my life, my lover, can you feel the love tonight, that's that Disney song, right, love at first sight, you know, John 3, 16, it goes on the sign, what, God so loved the world, that great Dean Martin song, that's amore, right? That's the power of love. That was a song both by Huey Lewis and the New, and then also Celine Dion, so you can choose your favorite one for the power of love. Um, How about some of these? The face only a mother could love, yeah. Love shack is a little old yeah. First love, platonic love, love is blind. Pat Benatar, love is a battlefield. Anybody? Yeah, our 80s people. I know, right? That's your karaoke. Do you need to come up here? Do you need a moment? No. <laughs> How about the old TV show, I Love Lucy? Herbie the Love Bug. Um, love is Blind. Or the, the fun one, the frenemy one, a love-hate relationship, right? Maybe some people in family and work, coworkers, you have that love-hate relationship. You love them. It's a struggle. Pastor Eugene Peterson said this, and I think it's It's really powerful when we start to try to step into this space of understanding the the idea of love. It gets, you know, it becomes so familiar to us that it starts to lose our depth. But here's what he wrote. He said, when we say radical things like Christ, love, believe, peace, sin, words that in other times and cultures excited martyrdoms, 
The sound of these words now enter the stream of conversation with no more splash than baseball scores or grocery prices. Or maybe we even say the price of gas right now, right? It just sort of just is present and it's there. And in so many ways, we probably lose the power of what it really means. And yet when we read scripture, we see that we are introduced to a God who is defined and called love. God is love. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at that concept of God is love and understand how does it define not just God and God's nature, but how does it define who we are? How does it define how we relate to one another in community? And then how does it define our purpose for living in the world? If we say that God is love and we belong to a God who is love, then how do we live and operate in this world? And so we're going to take the month of March and we're going to come back to that place of grounding in something that seems so familiar and yet is so profound. So if anybody asks you if you have a chance to share with somebody, you know, what, you know what's, what are you talking about at church? What happens at church? You say, we talk about love. And then there's going to be a thousand things that go through their mind of what that means. And so you're going to be more informed and better understand at the end of March what it means to know a God who is love. But it's not just going to be head knowledge, right? It's going to move into our hearts and our spirits, and it's going to transform us. Can we pray? And then we're going to read some scripture together. God, I pray that as you bring us through the month of March together here, and as we look at this um, really transformational moment of understanding a God who is love. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to release what we've held onto as a concept of love. Maybe a broken image of love that was given to us by people who should have loved us well and yet have failed us. Or maybe, God, our concept of love has been formed by people who have loved us so well in moments when we have loved so well, and then yet we realize that it still falls so short of capturing the fullness of who you are a God of love. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do the part that only you can do of taking your word and making it alive in front of us and inside of us, and like a passion that burns inside of us, that it would fuel us for every moment of every interaction, of every conversation. God, that you would truly transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to turn uh, in your Bible, whether it's on your phone, you have a paper Bible, or if you just want to follow along on the screen, we're going to jump to 1 John 4. So in the New Testament, there's the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of those is John, but that's not this John. If you go further to the back of the book, almost to the end, um, there's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. They're called the Johannine Epistles, meaning that they're letters written by John. So the John of the Gospel of John, these are letters that um, are attributed to him. But let's look at John in 1 John 4. Let's jump to verse number 15, and I want to read these scriptures for us this morning. Verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God, having God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And we live in God. Our love grows more perfect. The Greek word there is not just perfection and like without error. It means complete and full and whole. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect or complete love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and it shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect, complete love. 
We love each other. Why? Because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Strong language from John. For if we do not love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. And again, to God's word, we say, amen. You know, scripture writer John, in in these verses, and then especially through um, all of John chapter one, really takes us into this this vortex of um, words that he uses, and then he brings them into another sentence and uses them another way, and it's kind of like just swirling around us. So even in just those few um, verses there, the word love and this idea of love, it's attributed to God, it's attributed to us and that we are loved and then saying, okay, and then we are expected to love others and that becomes part of defining who we are and how God sees us. And so it's this kind of like all interwoven understanding of, of love. And so as we read these verses, part of what can happen first is they can just kind of like overwhelm us of going, love, love, love. Okay, I got it. I got to love, Right. And then as we sit with that for a little while, it may start to feel like, well, that's a little bit above and beyond what I can really do. Because guess what? There are moments where we fail to love. We fail to love well. Like he says, that warning of one who says, I love you, my neighbor, my fellow believer, and yet does not actually have love in their heart and maybe even harbors hatred. Well, then that's like not actually true love. And so there's this challenge for us where in some ways John creates this impossibility for us to live it out. But yet we know that God's existence as a God who is love means that there's hope for us means that there's a place of transformation, means that there is a place of belonging. And so today we're going to start with kind of the big picture view of a God who is love. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to zoom in to some areas of looking at it with closer focus. And so if you're a note taker, um, you're going to love it. We got notes right here. Number one, this is going to blow your mind. You ready? God is love. Number one. But when I put it on the screen, I intentionally underlined is Because we're going to focus in on that is word for just a moment. What does is mean? (laughs) Grammatically, even, you know, English and and, and many other languages, but in the Greek where this was written, is is a a defining word that is a state of being. It means to be. So it's it's saying that that God is love. So it's not that God, um, that love is something that God does, although we know that's true. And, and love is not something like a commodity that God hands out, although we know that God can give us love. But in this moment, when John is saying this, what he's writing is the fact that he's saying, God is love. Like the, the very nature, the makeup of God's being is love. If I say the, the band name DC Talk, how many of you remember that band, DC Talk? Get, get down with the DC talk. Okay, so back in the 90s, there was this really great Christian hip-hop, hip-hop rap group, and it was just like blew people's minds of like, I didn't know Christians could make music like that because before it was like, you know, kind of old and stodgy and whatever. And these guys were cool, Toby, Mike, and Kevin, and they dress cool, and their songs, they were singing with like multi-part harmony, and they would rap in the middle of songs. People were like, what in the world? And then later on, they came out with the song, Jesus Freak, and people were like, I didn't even know you could use the word Jesus and freak together in a sentence. It was crazy. But 1992, Little Bradley 
um, was blown away by the album DC Talk Free at Last. If you don't know this, if you got Spotify, whatever, go go listen to it. And you know, it's a little it's a little dated, you know, but lyrically it was amazing. But they had a song, Love is a Verb. And in it, it said, the chorus was, I don't care what they say, I don't care what you heard, the word love, love, love is a verb, okay? And, and so in this song, what they're trying to help people understand is that love isn't just, again, some high ideal that's out there, but they're challenging people, you know, you can Google the lyrics, don't do it right now, stay focused. But um, you can Google the lyrics, and what they were doing was they were challenging people, kind of like we're doing in this moment now, to think about love differently. And in their rap song, I mean, like, Little Brad was, like, blown away. But, like, these guys are so cool. Yeah, love is a verb. I got to go out there, and I got to put love in action, right? It was, like, love literally grammatically being a verb, a thing that you're doing and an action that gets expressed, But what's happening for John, when we look at 1 John 4 and then other places in John, where he defines God as being love, it's not so much about action as it is a literal state of being. So DC Talk, yeah, they, I mean, I give them their cred. They're awesome. But there's a place that comes before it in our understanding of love, of understanding, like John wrote here, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. It is this idea of a state of being. It's the fact that the, the, the essence, the nature of who, who God is, like God's character cannot be separated from love. The Greek word agape love. And again, like I... I'm not going to do this justice this morning, but there is something so profound when you spend some time meditating on this idea of God, a God who is love. Not a God who loves, not a God who, who tries to, you know, give us love like a, like a goodie bag that we, oh, this is great. But a God who is love. The essential, inseparable nature of God is love. And then if you think back to a few minutes ago of all those phrases and cultural places where we use that word love, how far does it fall from the true essence of who God is? We as humanity, we know in our very nature that love is part of of life. It's part of relationships. It's like an essential emotional um, emotion feeling for people to, to have love and how love gets expressed. And it's, you know, we know that there's something different from love beyond just like affection or care or, or being in love but that there's something deeper and more profound. And people from the beginning of time have wrestled with this. What does it mean to love? And yet what John does is he backs us up and he goes, okay, before you get into the the action, the doing of love, you need to understand that there is a God who is love. And in so many ways, I feel like because our human minds kind of can't completely wrap around it. It's almost like this idea of God as love where we can't even come at it head on. You almost have to kind of come at it sideways and try to to bring understanding of a God who is love by talking about God's actions, by talking about God's character, by seeing the effects of God's love in our life, the effects of God's love in our world and in creation. You know, there's that great Billy Graham quote where he, he says, I've never seen the wind, but I've seen the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the actual wind. There's a mystery to it. And he's saying it's the same with God where, you know, we've never... We've never seen God, but we see the effects of God in our life. It's kind of like that for a God who is love. 
We, we, we almost can't understand the depths of a God whose nature and character and being is love. And so, you know, throughout the centuries, people have tried to, to wrap their minds around it and try to understand it. Even in theology, there's this idea of a cataphatic theology, which is like this idea of defining God by God is. So saying God is love, God is joy, God is peace. And we define God by defining and giving definitions, saying God is this. But then there's this other tradition that pops up around it, and it's called apophatic theology. And it's this idea of saying, well, we can say all these things that God is, but there's also an ability to say what God is not. And so we say, well, God, God is love, but at the same time, God is not love in our best comprehension of it because God is so much more than that. And when we say God is joy, we, it's like, well, yeah, God's joy, but, but, but God's not joy because God is just so much more than joy. And it's this place that leaves us in this state of mystery where it almost kind of leaves our head spinning of going, I don't even know what to make of all of it. And yet we come into a place of going, do we want to know a God who is defined as love? Love in its completeness and its perfection and its wholeness? And I do. Because I think about it in my own life and I realize you know, is God's love like, like the love of a friend? Yeah. A really good friend? Yeah, God's love is like that. But then it's not, right? Because friends fail you. Friends make mistakes. Friends forget birthdays, you know? And so we realize, well, yeah, I mean, God's love is like a friend, but it's not. Then we say, well, okay, maybe God's love is like a parent to a child, right? I mean, parents, you know, like, what do we say? It's like, um, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a complete blank. Like, um, without condition, unconditional love. There it is. I had to, had to work to find that word. Unconditional love, right? A parent's love is unconditional love. If you have kids, you know that love gets tested. And so we can say, yes, God's love is like, you know, the love of a parent. But then we realize, you know what? So much more. So much more. Even in my best moments as a parent, and loving my children, I realize they're still so far that I fall short of the fullness of a God who is love, right? So we could say, okay, well, God's love is like the love of a, of a lover or a spouse, that close, intimate, like knowing one another and, and being able to finish one another's sentences. And, you know, I, I, I think it before you say it and like this like place of like just closeness. And we can say, yeah, God's love is like that, of knowing close and intimate, seeing us always. But then we realize it's not. It's so much more. Sometimes marriages end in divorce. Sometimes people that you've loved for years surprise you that they're a completely different person than who you thought they were. And as much as there's been closeness and intimacy, you realize, man, God's love is so much more beyond that. This is that cataphatic and apophatic understanding of going, we can know it and then realize we don't know it. And we rest in the tension and the mystery of that. And so we have to come to a place of knowing that we're only going to be able to really understand and know God's love through this experiential living it out of being one who lives in God's love, a God who is love, of receiving it and coming to a place where we really encounter the God called love that we know that we're going to, we're going to be changed, that we're going to be transformed, and we have to allow it to invade our lives and, and, and let it become like the experience of reality for us. And so we say, yes, love, love is an inseparable nature of God's character, of who God is. And so we can come to this place of going, we thank you, God, for your compassion, for your grace, for your mercy. Those are all descriptors of the action of a God who is love. 
I think about it even for, you know, people who are, you know, missionaries or relief workers or people who enter into battlefields under the, the mark of the Red Cross to give care to people who are injured and dying, people who work in addiction recovery, of parents who um, just pour out their hearts over and over again. And we see in all of those moments, those are glimpses of a God who is love and yet it still falls short of anything compared to the fullness of who God is. And so I invite you, even over, over this week, spend some time reading 1 John and, and read the whole of it. It's only five chapters. The first chapter is an introduction, really short. And so you could take a chapter a day, or you can read it all in one day and then revisit parts that stand out to you. But John throughout 1 John um, really brings it back around in multiple different ways what it means to know a God who is love. But I want, to, I want to read these verses, and then we're going to move to our, our second point. But in 1 John, um, again, chapter 4, but just a little bit earlier, he says this, referring to God's love. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For what? God is love. He says it again there, and then again in verse 16 later on. But then verse number nine, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Theologian John Stott writes this, the mission of Jesus is evidence just as much of of God's love as of Jesus' divinity. It tells us not only that God loved, but that God is love. It's the one thing, however, it's one thing, however, to know and believe that God has love for us and that God is love. It's another to live in love ourselves. That's going to be the challenge for us. Are we willing to live in love as God defines it, as God expresses it? You have to realize it's not enough to believe that, you know, there is a God and we, we think favorably of that God, but we must come to a place of seeing the self-sacrificing radical nature of God, just like signs of the wind that blows. We can't put God as God as love in a bottle and look at it, but we can see the signs of it in our world, in our life, in the expression of a God who is love, and that we've seen those effects in our own lives. And so when we think about a God who is love, I hope that that it starts to open up something new in your mind of not just thinking, okay, you know, love is something that God does or expects us to do, but that is an inseparable nature of who God is. But number two, so God is love. But then secondly, God's love is embedded within us. God's love is embedded within us. You know, instead of saying, like some people do, I'm working on getting better at loving people. How many of you have said that? I'm working on getting better at loving people, right? Because it's a challenge. And what we're saying as we say that of working at getting better on loving people, we're saying, well, I'm, getting, I'm working on getting better at treating people with kindness or maybe having patience or as the scriptures talk about being long-suffering, right? And what we're saying there is we say we're working on getting better at loving people. What we really mean to be saying, I hope at the center of who we are, is we're working to become more like Christ, working to become more like that nature of who God is. And so then it means that as we become more like Christ, the overflow for others is an expression of love that is actually happening at the very center of who we are. So 
instead of thinking it as like, oh, I need to be more loving to people, and it's like an outside thought coming in, when we actually work to become more like Christ and the Holy Spirit's working in us, then what we're doing is it's rising up from inside of us. We're allowing God to work in us. And so instead of it being like something that we're trying to take on ourselves as like a heavy duty, a responsibility, we're actually saying, I'm going to live out of what God already desires for me to have within me. And that may feel like an impossibility. It may feel like, well, my, my tank for that is way too low and I need to get filled up more before I can have an overflow. And I believe that God can do that. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians, Galatians chapter five. It's the fruit of the spirit. You've heard this before. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Ready? Number one, love. And it's the same word, agape. It's the same word all the way through. Also, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The fruit of the Spirit, the first one that gets thrown in there is love. Why? Because God is love. And so when we see that the Holy Spirit is working within us and transforming us, then it's like seeds that have gone into soil that begin to grow. And as there's fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, it becomes love. And then all those other descriptors, descriptors that become an expression of the Holy Spirit that's working in us, making us more like Christ, transforming us. What the Holy Spirit is doing in us is making us new. That good church Bible word, sanctification, right? Of, of making us holy and making us more like God. We have to realize when we think about this idea of a God who is love means that God's love is embedded within us, that God has made us and created us. And so then we understand that there are no exceptions or qualifiers to the statement that God loves you. God loves you. And again, it's not the, you know, make love, not war, or, you know, put it on a sign or, a, you know, a t-shirt or like, you know, yell and scream it as you boycott. It's not that kind of love. To say God loves you means to say that there is an inherent quality about who you are that's inseparable from your nature. You were born being a creation that is loved by God. A God who is love then expresses that love toward you, unearned, unmerited, freely poured out, unconditional, a God who loves you. So then when we think about how am I supposed to live as a person of love in this world, we realize that first, our first stance is to actually embrace the fact that we are loved by God. I think because we, we want to believe this and because it's, it's so part of our nature, this is why when we see on the news, heartbreaking news of violence and war, loss of life, you know, children harmed and violated. Like anytime we see those stories, something pulls at our heart. What is that? It's not just like an empathy and compassion. And, oh, those poor people. It's because we recognize that humanity is loved by God. And anything that comes against humanity and just destroys it, tears away its image, puts it to death, breaks our heart because it breaks God's heart. And so when we see it, it's not just this place of, hmm, those poor people, I got to move on. It's recognizing, God, this world is not like what you want it to be. And yet, God, through us, we can be carriers of your love. We can be carriers of compassion. And so then to say God is love or to say that we are loved, it's, it's more than just a sign that we put up and, and hold up to try to shout at the world. It actually comes to a place of recognizing that, that a God who is love 
becomes a God that we experience through moments of compassion, empathy, and understanding. It's one more place where the the wind of God is blowing. And we may not see it, but we see the effects of it. When our hearts are moved toward others, we say, God, I recognize you love them and you love me. And maybe sometimes it's easier to say, oh, you love them than it is to actually embrace that place of saying, God, I am loved by you. But we realize like God's, God's love is embedded in us as part of our character and our nature. And then the overflow as we talk about having fruit of the spirit is understanding that it impacts the way that we do relate to others. And we're gonna explore this more in the coming weeks. But look at this warning that John gives. This is a little bit earlier from the verses that we've read already. But in 1 John chapter two, John gives this warning about the temptation, the brokenness of this world. And look what he says, verse 15. So this is 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love this world or the things in it or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. And here's the warning. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases the Father will live forever. There's two words that get used here. That idea of craving, and then he also uses pride. Craving is epithemia in the Greek, and it's, it's literally the idea of an insatiable desire. It's a, it's a lustful craving desire, and, and it can never be satisfied. So when he describes it here and he says, the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure or a craving for everything we see, what he's saying is the world is offering it. Hey, come and get it. But he's saying, be warned because that craving can never be fulfilled. It's that sick, guilty pleasure you get after you eat a bag of chips and you get to the bottom and go, well, I ate something, but now I just feel terrible. <laughs> and that's a lighthearted, I make a joke, but... What he's saying here in this, using this word, word epithemia, it's like, it's a serious word. It's a lustful craving for something of like, once I get it, it's not enough, I need more. And once I get that, I need more. And guess what? Tomorrow and the next and the next, I need more. And he sets it up in opposition to the father's love, the father's love that is just the nature of who God is and that God desires for us to have within us. That's not an epithemia craving that can't be fulfilled but it's that state of being, of grounding in it. But there's another word that he uses here, this word prize, pride. The word pride, and, and it gets defined as like boasting arrogance. It's this idea of a false pretense. And look at this, this is a challenge. Pride in our achievements and possession. A false pretense. This idea that like we would create a defining of who we are, our identity, maybe even our sense of safety and, and, and belonging built off of a pride in our achievements and possessions. I'm pulling back from what I want to say right now. If you've watched TV and you've watched the news even in, in, the, in the last week, in certain large events that have happened with groups of people and speeches given and things like that, you will see this display of pride happening. And our world celebrates it, celebrates it. 
Even those who are in opposition to people who give big speeches and, and tout all of their accomplishments and say, look at all we've done and all we're going to do and this prideful arrogance in that. Those that come against it and want to attack it and shout and boo and hiss have all of their own bag of pride and accomplishments. And what, what John is giving here is a warning. I mean, we could read these verses and just fly right through it. But what he's saying here is like, slow down and understand there is a God who is love and the love of that God cancels all of that out. That craving that can never be satisfied, that pride that's just a false pretense that's just putting on a show and has nothing to back it up. The love of God comes in and underneath all of that and uproots it. And he's saying, these are not from the Father, they're from this world and the world is fading away. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And the only way to do that is to come back to a place and understand there is a God who is love and God's love is embedded in us and we have, to, we have to nurture it, we have to grow it, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen that. And that's the third point. Number three, God's love empowers us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. God's love empowers us. To say that God is a being that is love means that we then can receive from that. And if we are people like, like um Genesis talks about of being created in the image of God, then that means that we have an ability and a capacity to begin to love, even in our <laughs> incompleteness, to begin to love and move toward that place of looking like a love that, that gets expressed to the world like God would desire it to be. And yet, it happens through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And when you read in 1 John, one of the things that he, that he says is that that love first gets expressed in community. It gets expressed in community. It gets expressed in relationship with one another. It gets expressed in, in the, the body of Christ. Like if you go back and, and look at those first verses we read, he, he gives that warning of saying, you know, you, you can't be one who, you know, has a, a love that is partial or a love that you say, well, I love my neighbor. You know, I love God, but I, but I hate my fellow believer. He actually cancels that out and says, it doesn't work that way. For you to be one who is empowered by God and the love of God, the only way that it happens is by you living it out from a place of authenticity, integrity. Jesus' own words declared this, John 13, 35. They will know that you're mine because of your love for one another. Jesus' words, John 13, 34, 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So in the coming weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take this commandment of Jesus and this, this growing redefinition and awakening that God is doing in us of a God who is love, and we're going to dive deeper into it, and then we're going to work to apply it in our lives. Henry Nowen, theologian, pastor, um, just one that I, I love, he said, we are the windows through which others may glimpse God. We are the windows through which others may glimpse God by who we are, by how we carry ourselves, by how we relate to one another. It's like windows into a view of God. And then we slow down and we go, well, what do people see if they were to look into the windows of my life? What would they see? Would they experience a God who is love? Or a God who is withholding? A God who is judgmental? a God who is biased and, and unkind and uncaring? No, 
we realize, like Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And it's not something that we try to do on our own. Because in our own power, especially at our weakest, our most tired moments, we will fail. But when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we then begin to grow a harvest of love and joy and peace and patience. All expressions tied back to a God who is love. We're going to move into a place of responding to what we've heard this morning and really just an invitation for us to slow down for a moment. And so I want to invite you to um, feel comfortable. You can bow your head. If you've been taking notes and um, want to capture some thoughts in just a minute, I'm going to lead us through just some reflection questions and prayer about how we can listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now. But what I wanted to do before we, before we pray is um, I wanted to read some words from Galatians, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And in, in Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to read it from the message just because I like the kind of everyday common language that it uses here. But Paul challenges the believers there of saying basically what you plant, you get. You know, Pastor Raphael read it earlier in our, in our um, time of receiving the offering that the way in which you give, you'll receive it back. In a very basic childlike way, we all go, yep, I know that. I get that. But we're challenged in how we live that out. And so, you know, Paul challenges in these verses that I'm going to read that if we want a harvest of love and righteousness, then we have to be people who plant seeds of love and righteousness. So would you bow your head with me now as I read these words, and then we're going to reflect on what the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. Paul says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth of work within him, harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. So here's the invitation. So, not, so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued at doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up and we don't quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. This is where it begins. Starts at home. Love starts at home. People in the community of faith that are in your own household. People in the community of faith that are sitting in this room with you or watching online that call Essence Place home. This is a place for us to experience a testing out of God's love. As we plant seeds of love and righteousness, and we allow the Holy Spirit to tend to it and grow it, then we begin to have a harvest of love and righteousness. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do. In this moment, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to us. And so I want you to just become still and listen to the Holy Spirit and, and allow the Holy Spirit to guide your memory into recalling maybe a moment or some moments of the love of God in your own life. Hold those moments with tenderness. Invite the Holy Spirit to bring new insight and understanding to the power of God's love in your life. Reflect back over your life to those moments where you know this is a moment where I experience the love of God. Maybe it's just a glimpse. 
Maybe it was a still quiet moment, but in that, a moment where you've experienced the unmerited love, unearned love of God, God's grace. And just hold that in your mind. If you're taking notes, maybe jot down a couple of words so you can revisit this later. God, we thank you that you are a God of love. God, we thank you for moments where you have shown that love to us, where it went from you being the state of being a God who is love to then in that action-oriented way, we experience your love. Like feeling the wind blowing on a breezy day, we feel your love pressing against us and we say thank you. God, I pray that you would help us even through this week to revisit those moments of grace and love to see it with new eyes, fresh eyes, places of gratitude, places of just reflecting on God's faithfulness. And we say, thank you, Lord, those transformational moments. And we thank you in those moments, you change the course of our life. You change the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see others. And so God, with gratitude, we say, thank you. We say, thank you, God. And now in a similar way, I want to invite you to reflect on your own expression of God's love in this world. Like a garden that's been planted. What seeds are being placed in the soil of your life? Right now, maybe just picture it in your mind, walking down the rows of the crops of your life with the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to point out some of the fruit that's growing in your life. What do you see? This is a harder one because if we're honest, we probably see a mix of things. Maybe we see some fruit of love and joy and peace. But maybe we also see some fruit that looks like anger or greed. Some fruit that looks like fear, envy, pride, that lustful craving that John talked about. As the Holy Spirit illuminates that and allows you to see it, don't turn to that human reaction of shame, of hiding. Because the truth is that God, the master gardener, God already knows all about it. Because a God who is love is a God who knows how to uproot the things that don't need to be there. Knows how to remove those, that fruit and not just the fruit, but dig down deep into the soil and pull it up by the roots. God desires to tend to the soul of our lives with a wholeness and a completeness and a care that brings us greater and greater harvest of love and righteousness and all the good things that need space to grow. And so even in that this week, I pray that you come back to reflecting on a God who is love and that you would hold tightly to that and allow God to to not, to kind of pull you out of the shadows and out of shame and let God show you the areas where he desires to grow in that garden of your life. Let me pray one more time for us. God, we thank you that you deal with us in kindness. Scripture says that it's your mercy that leads us to repentance, not strong arming us, not shaming us, not backing us into a corner, but it's your mercy, another expression of a God who is love. 
And so I pray, God, that this week, just as we reflect on those good moments where you've already been faithful in the past, Lord, that we would be entering into a, a time together as a church and individually where we are looking for the areas where there are some things that need to be uprooted to allow us to love more like you, to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to express a love that's not shallow, that's not surface level or transactional, but a love that's truly embedded deep in who we are because it's who you are. God, I pray that you would help us to take inventory of the desires of our heart. Lord, may our passion and our desire for you just continue to increase and the, the, the craving and the pride of this world would decrease as we look to you as the God who is love. The source of all life flows from you and we thank you, God. We thank you.